Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you, one and all. I'm really glad you're here on this Lord's Day to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you've been blessed by the music of the morning already, as I have. Don't you want to give our worship arts teams a warm round of applause? Would you do that? You know, Easter really is not about what we do, but what God has already done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that today. I want to invite you now, if you haven't done so already, to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. You know, the Bible tells the story of Jesus Christ in four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we want to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, as he tells us about the meaning and the reality of and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we're preparing uh, to hear the word here in the worship center on this Easter Sunday morning, let me say the warmest of welcomes to everyone who's in our contemporary service today. I'm really glad you're here on this Easter Sunday morning, as well as those who are joining online and on TV. I'm really glad that you're a part of this service today as well. You know, as I've been preparing for today, my mind's gone back to an old, old story that always makes me smile. It's a story of a rooster and some hens in the chicken yard, and apparently things had gotten sort of dull, and one of the hens said, you know, I want to do something special when I lay my egg, and she said, I think I'm going to go over and lay my egg right on top of the fence post, and the old rooster said, well, that's not special. That's already been done. And the hen said, well, I'm going to go up on top of the chicken coop, and I'm going to lay it with such precision and balance right at the top that it won't roll off on either side. And the old rooster said, well, that's not special. That's already been done. And she said, well, I think then I'm going to go over and lay my egg in the interstate highway. And when she said that, the old rooster raised his eyebrow. And he said, well, if you decide to do that, I've only got two things to say. You need to lay it fast and lay it on the line. (laughs) And so guess what I want to do this morning on this Easter Sunday? I want to lay it fast and I want to lay it on the line. And that means we're going to begin by looking at the reality and the facts of the resurrection from Luke 24. So I want you to read God's word aloud with me. We're going to read the first 12 verses. I'm going to read the lighter colored print. And I want everybody in the room to join in in reading the bolder, darker colored print. The same is true in our contemporary service. I'll read aloud. You join me on the bold print. Uh, Here's what the Bible says in Luke 24. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Join me now. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And with that economy of words, Luke describes what happened on that first Easter morning. The women coming early expecting the body of Jesus to be in the tomb. And they would lovingly, they thought, anoint it with spices. And then the startling, frightening news that the stone was rolled back, the tomb was empty. And then the angelic message. And when they brought that message to the apostles, did you notice the apostles, they just really couldn't take it in. They had heard the teaching of Jesus. They knew his prediction. But somehow it was just too fabulous to believe. They considered it, the scripture says, an idle tale. I commend Peter, though, because what did he do? He went to verify. He went to check it out. He went to see the evidence. And he too found the tomb empty. And the scripture says he went home marveling. It's sort of this combination of could it be true? Could he be risen? I'm not sure. The tomb is empty. I'm astounded by it. I don't know really all to think about this. So the tomb was empty but there was more to come. In Luke 24, 13 through 35 then, we begin to see more confirmation of the reality of the resurrection. Jesus meets the two who were walking on the road to Emmaus. After they recognized him, they hurried back to the city to tell the other apostles. And that's where I want us to pick up the story. Look on your outline, look at verse 36. It says, And as they were talking about these things, reporting what had happened on the Emmaus Road, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. But they were, now notice the response again. They were startled. They were frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts Arise in your hearts. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. And while they, I love this phrase, they disbelieved for joy. There was this weird mixture of joy that he was alive and, and yet disbelief that it could be a reality. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. In that paragraph, in that appearance on that first Easter Sunday evening, I think we see today the first thing that Jesus wanted for them and that Jesus wants for us today. Write it in on your outline, if you would. And that is on this Easter Sunday, Jesus wants us to have confidence. He wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have certainty about the reality of his bodily resurrection. Jesus wants us to have confidence that the tomb really was empty. He really was raised. He's alive today and he's coming again. Now, I know that it's possible, though, that some of us, like those first followers, we may have some doubts and unresolved kinds of questions. Um, maybe you're here today just because you're in on the family gathering, and uh, you're not sure you're really a Christ follower yet. You maybe have heard some truth growing up, but you know what the celebration is about. But you think, I, I just am not sure I can believe all of that. Or maybe you grew up in the church and you heard the stories of Jesus and you believe them, but now as a young adult, you're encountering people and ideas that are challenging those. And you're saying, is my childhood faith really good for me as an adult? Or maybe you've walked through a real season of suffering and it's just caused all kinds of questions to come to your mind. And you're saying on this Easter Sunday, can I really believe in the reality of the resurrection? Well, I believe if Jesus were here, he would do a similar thing. He would say, see my hands, see my feet. You see me, you hear me, you can touch me. Have you got any food I want you to eat with me? He would say, I want to give you all the evidence you need that I have risen and you can trust and follow me. You see, he'll give us that kind of evidence. You, some of you are saying, where can I find it? it? This is not an apologetics message this morning, but I want to highly recommend a, a beginning place, a little book called The Case for Christ where a skeptical agnostic attorney in Chicago whose wife had come to faith set out to prove that it was all just a fraud. And as he looked at the historical evidence, the archeological evidence, the linguistic evidence, the religious evidence, guess where the evidence led him? To genuine personal faith in Christ. So if you're like the first disciples, and you still have some doubts, let the doubts lead you to the evidence, and that evidence will lead you to Christ. Well, that's not all. Let's look at, it, at the, at the uh, rest of what happened on that first Easter Sunday. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses 
and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Those are the three big divisions of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And he says the entirety of that, when we understand it correctly, points us right to Christ. And then look at verse 45. It's a beautiful thing. It says, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, this is one of the evidences that God is really at work in your life. That when you open the Bible, all of a sudden, God in his spirit begins to help the truth of that word come alive and be applied to your heart. And then he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then here's the heart of the message. Don't miss it. He says, and that repentance, godly sorrow for sin that leads to a change of mind, a change of life, a change of direction. He says, this is the message, that repentance for the forgiveness. If you have your pen in your hand, circle the word forgiveness. For the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Do you see the, the primary message that Jesus says we ought to share on this Easter Sunday like he underscored on that first Easter Sunday is about forgiveness and how you can find that forgiveness. In verse 48, he says, you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Circle that word power. Because he says, not only am I giving you a message, but I'm also giving you the power in order to take that message to all who need to hear. So what are the next two things that Jesus wants for us on this Easter Sunday? The first is to have confidence in the reality of his resurrection. And here's the second one, write it in. Jesus wants us to value, to understand and be transformed by the truth of the scriptures. The truth of the scriptures. So let me just say that if you haven't found a way yet to every day take in a portion of God's word, understand it, and apply it, we've created a tool that will help you do that. It's called a chapter a day. And Hundreds and hundreds of us already use it. If you've got another method, that's great. But if you don't have a way yet, if it's not a habit, a routine, a regular practice, before this service is over, pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address. And beginning in the morning at 5 o'clock, you'll get a prompt to remind you of the chapter of the day and how you can abide in God's word every day. It'll change your life. Here's the third thing Jesus wants for us. Number three, he wants us to be committed to the mission of making disciples of all nations. He says, I want that message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to everyone, everywhere, all around the world. And that means here today. So those are the three things that Jesus wants for us on this Easter Sunday. But now, I want us to turn the page, and I want to ask the question then, in light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 
uh, how can that really transform, change for the better my life and yours? Well, here's the first way. Write it in. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can be at peace. We can be at peace with God and at peace with our past by repenting, believing, and receiving, here's that heart of the message, God's forgiveness. We can be at peace. We can be at peace with God and with our past by repenting, believing, and receiving God's forgiveness. Now, I need to do a little poll right now on this Easter Sunday morning. I'd like to just see a show of hands. How many of you would say that you have ever messed up? Can I see your hand if that would be you? Yeah, and the rest of you just messed up on Easter Sunday morning. I mean, you're lying in church, lying on Easter Sunday. I mean, I'm just saying, well, yeah. Well, of course, we've all messed up. Some of us have messed up in a public way. Some have messed up in a private way. Some have messed up in a big way. Some have messed up in a little way. Some of us have messed up because we were foolish or we were impetuous or we were not wise. Some of us messed up because we were stubborn and wayward and said, I'll do it my way. Some of us took the bait that the enemy put in front of us and we knowingly disobeyed God, the Bible says we've all messed up, every one of us. So the question is, how does God relate to us? How does God relate to us when we messed up? Well, I know the answer to that today. I think I can illustrate it this way. Do you remember that woman who had messed up By having an affair with a man, committing adultery, the Pharisees caught her. And not because they cared anything about her, but because they were trying to trip Jesus up, they threw that woman caught in adultery into the dust at his feet. And they said, our law says she ought to be stoned because of her adultery. What say you, Jesus? And the Bible says, he says a couple of things. The first thing he said was, well, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And then after they had all drifted away, he raised the countenance of that woman and he said, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she was astounded, they were gone. And then Jesus said these words. He said, neither Do I condemn you? Go and sin no more. So what does he say? He says when we mess up, if we will be transformed by his grace, he does not condemn us, but he does not condone our sin but instead he transforms us by his grace and gives us a new life. Isn't that good news? Some of you are saying, but now, Pastor Tim, my mess up, 
It was after I, uh, I became a follower of Jesus, and I'm so heartbroken over that. Let me remind you of a fellow named Peter. He was one of Jesus' first followers. But do you remember when crunch time came? Three times, not once, not twice, three times. Peter said, I, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I, I, don't, I don't know him. Three times he denied Christ. The rooster crowed. He went out and wept in bitterness over his brokenness and his sin. So what happened? Did that come to define his life? No. Thanks be unto God that after the resurrection, Jesus met Peter on a sandy shore near the Sea of Galilee. And after breakfast on the beach three times, one for each denial, he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Well, then, Peter, feed my sheep. Shepherd the flock. You're forgiven. You're recommissioned. You're restored. Your mess up doesn't have to define your life. Now, how does that forgiveness connect to the cross and the resurrection? I put it on your outline. Look in Ephesians 1.7. It says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. Here it is. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So look, the forgiveness is because of Jesus' shed blood. The stain that we could not remove, he washed away. The debt that we could not pay, he paid in full. The shackles that held us, he unlocked and broke away. It was done at the cross when he died for our sins. And look how it is bestowed. We're not forgiven because we're good people or worthy people or nice people or respectable people. Look at the end of that verse. It says it's according to the riches of his grace. That by grace, God just forgives us when we trust him. I love the way Acts 10.43 puts it. It says, everyone, that includes you and me, everyone who believes in him, here it is, receives forgiveness, forgiveness of sins through his name. So let me take another poll. A minute ago, the poll was, how many of you have messed up? This poll question is, let me see a show of hands. How many of you? are in favor of forgiveness. Man, I am too. I'm so grateful for the Lord's forgiveness. But now stick with me here. The Bible says that when you and I genuinely receive God's forgiveness, we're in right relationship with him through Christ when we repent and believe that one of the sure evidences of that, one of the sure evidences is then that we forgive others when they have hurt us, when they have dinged us, when they have mistreated us. And we not only forgive others, but when we have harmed others, we go and we ask their forgiveness. Now, it's sort of an interesting thing. Some polling has been done on this question. 
It's an interesting thing. According to the Journal of Adult Development, 75% of the people in this country believe they've been forgiven by God for past sins, mistakes, and wrongdoing. Did you hear that? 75% of us believe we have sought and received God's forgiveness. But watch this. Only 52% say they have forgiven others. And even fewer, only 43%, say they've sought forgiveness for a wrong that they did to someone else. Now, I think when it comes to forgiving other people, that one of the difficulties is we're not sure exactly what forgiveness is. And we're a little afraid of it. Um, now, we know in general what it is, but maybe not as, we don't think as clearly as we should. And uh, Professor Scott Winnig in uh, an article, a message called Forgiveness, really helped lay some of this out, I think. He said, you know, forgiveness is not the same as excusing. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Forgiveness is not even the same as reconciling. Sometimes forgiveness leads to reconciliation, but reconciliation takes two, and it requires the rebuilding of trust. It's a good thing, but forgiveness is a little different than that. So forgiveness is not excusing, forgetting, or reconciling. So what is it? When we've received God's forgiveness, and now he says, you forgive others. And by the way, some of you are saying, does he really say that? Well, look at it. It's on your outline, Colossians 3.13. It says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, what's that next word? I'm sorry, I didn't quite get it. What's that next word? You must. It's not optional. It is essential. You must forgive others. So when we do that, what is it? Well, number one, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice of the will. And that choice, number two, means we let go of the desire for revenge. We let go of the desire to hurt the person back who hurt us. Now, you know what revenge feels like. Do you know about Dave? Dave lives in Boulder, Colorado. He works as an umpire in a summer recreational league. A couple of winters ago, he was pulled over by a police officer for going too fast in the snow. Dave tried to talk to the police officer, reason his way out of a ticket. The police officer said if Dave didn't like the ticket, Dave could just go to court. Well, the next summer in the first game of the summer league, Dave was umpiring, and the first batter up was guess who? That policeman. The officer and Dave recognized each other immediately as the officer stepped into the batter's box. The officer thought, I better say something. So he said to Dave, the umpire, so how'd the thing with the ticket go? And Dave looked at the officer and said, you just better swing at everything. <laughs> we all know that sort of sweet feeling of revenge. But that's not the way of Christ. 
He says, if, if I've forgiven you your sin debt, you must forgive others. My grace changes you in that way. And watch this. When we don't forgive, it's corrosive. I love the way Anne Lamott puts it. She says, you know, I went around saying for a long time that I'm not one of those Christians who is heavily into forgiveness. <laughs> she said, I'm one of the other kind. She said, even though it was funny and actually true, it started to be too painful to stay this way. And then she said, rightly so, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. You see, when we don't forgive, it keeps us stuck in the cement of bitterness and hatred and revenge that will ruin our lives. And Jesus knows that and he drives it home. And he says, if, if I have forgiven you, then you need to forgive others. And even fewer of us, it seems, are willing to go and say, I need your forgiveness. Someone's put it this way. Someone has said, the hardest five words in the English language are, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Since they're hard, let's practice them together, shall we? <laughs> let's just say them out loud right now, everybody. Let's just say them. I'm sorry, please forgive me. A few weeks ago, um, my sweetheart and wife of 35 years, whom I love with all my heart, and she loves me, we crossed swords. <laughs> I thought I was right. She thought she was right. I made my argument. She made her argument. Whack! It was not pretty. I retreated to my corner. She retreated to her corner. Stayed in our corners a while. And then we made our way back to the kitchen and almost at exactly the same time, we said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And it just melted. The relationship began to be put back together. The intimacy was restored. Reconciliation happened. And one of the reasons some of you are here today is maybe in your marriage or in your family with those you love most, you not only need to forgive, but you need to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You say, where would I ever find the strength to do that? Well, Jesus said, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sends to be in us when we receive his forgiveness by trusting him.
Now, some of you who are regular Ingleside's are saying, Pastor Tim, you are only on point one on page three. <laughs> we are never going to get out of here. It's okay. I'm going to put the rest of the fill in the blanks on the website. <laughs> because as I've been praying all week long, just, just the, the words that have been jumping off the page that Jesus said on that first Easter night was get the message right. The message of the resurrection is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It'll change our lives. So look to the last page of your outline, and how should we respond? When Peter preached this message at Pentecost, he wrapped up this way. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers... What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're forgiven. The Spirit comes to live within you. And the Spirit within you enables you then to extend and ask for forgiveness in your relationships. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So in just a moment, I'm gonna lead us in that prayer that's in the box on your outline. It'll be on the screen as well. I want you to pray if you're already a Christ follower. You may wanna ask the Lord to Forgive a sin you've not confessed. You may want to renew your commitment to him. And listen, today may be the day for you when you turn from your sin, put your trust in Christ, and for the first time, you experience the peace that comes with his forgiveness. And I want you to just pray that prayer. You can keep your eyes open. Look at your outline. Look at the screen. Just let these be your words if you mean them. Let's pray together now. Just say to him, say, dear God, I want you to transform my life. Please forgive my sins. I'm sorry for the ways I have disobeyed you and I'm willing to turn from my sins in repentance. Just say to him, say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave and is one day coming again. By faith, I receive him as my Savior and Lord. Just say to him, I want to follow Jesus, O oh God, and I commit my life to him now. I'm willing to be baptized as a follower of Jesus and to learn how to walk in obedience to his commands. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, it's become uh, something we do regularly at Ingleside. It's something of a tradition, and I want us to do it again today. I, I want you to give me a snapshot of where you stand with the Lord. Would you do that? 
Whether you're a member, a regular attender, a guest, brand new to Ingleside, here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to take this snapshot sheet and... Um, we're going to complete it, and then I'm going to ask you to pass it to the end of your rows, and the ushers will pick it up. We'll sing our concluding song. In the contemporary service, I'd love to ask you to do the same. Um, complete this sheet, and pass it to the end of your row. Just a moment, the ushers will pick it up. I, I, do you see it says, Pastor Tim, I want you to know, and I want you to circle only one of those four letters. A means already, I'm already a follower of Christ. B means I'm repenting and believing today. Today's the day I'm saying, I'm making the turn, I'm trusting Christ. If you're still considering that, then you circle C. And if you don't plan to follow Christ, I hope that's not you, but uh, if it is you, you circle D. You may say, you know, as part of my commitment to Christ, I'd like to be baptized, Pastor Tim. And so if you'll check that box, we'll help you take that next step. Some of you might say, you know, I'd like to be a member of this church. Well, check that box. Others of you might just want me to know that you're renewing your commitment to following Jesus. If so, you check that box. Tell me how's best to get back in touch with you. And tell me your name, a little other info about yourself, and then your age and life stage, just check that and then check that you attended the 9.40 a.m. blended service this morning. You say, well, what happens to these things? Well, this afternoon, they'll come to me. And beginning tonight, I'll look at, read, pray over everyone. And then in the days ahead, our, our team of pastors and ministers especially if you've said you want to take next steps, we'll be back in touch to help you take the next steps. That's all that happens to them. So have you had a chance to complete that? If so, right now, pass it to the end of your row. Go ahead and do that. Ushers, make your way on down the round and uh, pick them up. They're in the contemporary service. Y'all do the same thing. Pass them to the end of the row. The ushers are going to come and pick them up. It's a way of just saying, here's where I stand with the Lord today. And Pastor Tim, I want you to know, I want you to be able to pray for me. And uh, I'll promise you, I will do that. And I'm really, really thankful that today you came. And can I just tell you, I love you. I know what it means to mess up. I know what it means to be forgiven by the Lord. And I know what it means to have to say you're sorry to someone else and have to forgive someone else when they hurt you. And I want to tell you that by God's grace, that's possible in your life and mine for our good and his great glory.